Warning! Warning! Today's episode contains spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you. Hi, this is Rigor, and welcome to the East Meets the West with my co-host, Patsy the Angry Nerd. It's been a while, Pat. It has. Uh, we've both undergone some uh, significant life changes since the uh, since the last episode was recorded. You know, there's a lot of a lot of ups and downs, a lot of uh, upheavals in our personal life. Some, yeah. <laughs> some good, some bad. Uh, so yeah, it's been it's been a while, and this is. Uh, only the second podcast I've I've recorded since uh, the last five months, four months. Jesus! Wow! Yeah. Oh my god, that's crazy. And h- how is the temperature down there? Because we had um, because of the windshield factor or wind chill factor, or I like to call it the windshield factor. Uh, we had negative forty um, between Friday and Saturday. Yeah, we were we were right around the right around the same like negative. 25 negative 30 especially with the wind the wind was real bad friday like you could hear the 40 mile an hour wind gusts just blowing in and out and just absolutely uh devastating yeah oh my god it's unbelievable yeah and it's like even like my my grandson he's you know he's six and he's like i'm not cold i'm not cold and then friday picking him up from the bus he like i i picked him up with the car i mean it's literally just down the street we live in a on a cul-de-sac and, um, you know, you could walk it in the good weather, but I usually drive in the mornings, but I'll walk to pick him up in the afternoon. And then Friday was like, I kept getting warnings on my phone saying, don't be out for more than 10 minutes. So I just picked him up in the car and the kid ran for the car. The kid was never cold. <laughs> was like, I'm freezing. Yeah. Like, I, it's funny because I'm, I'm kind of a jerk when it comes to the, these things. People are like, oh, it's freezing outside. I'm like, actually, you would have to warm up significantly to be freezing. Because <laughs> it's so far below. Like I got in my car. Um, I went to go see my mom yesterday and uh, help her out with some stuff. And I got in the car and temperature was one. Yeah. <laughs> like it just said one on the on the uh, little dashboard thermometer. I'm like, <sighs> and it it reminds me of the meme that you see going around every now and then on social media where it's like. The air hurts my face. Why do I live in a place where the air hurts my face? <laughs> right. <laughs> For me, and it's, you know, I know we have listeners all over the place. So if you're from like a, a warmer climate, 
something that you've never experienced, and it's one of the most uh, irritating things for me. Is when you go outside, you know, you're kind of stuffed up because it's, you know, cold season. You go outside and all of your boogers freeze. <laughs> and then you go and your nose feels so weird. And then you go back inside and they all like everything melts and returns back and there's just like gushes out of your nose. <laughs> just the worst. And, uh, you know, I'm, I, I, I hope I didn't gross people out too, too much with that. But like <laughs> our northern listeners will 100% understand what we're talking about. Absolutely. And people in the south are like, oh, that's gross. That doesn't happen. And people up north are like, oh, yeah, yeah. I remember when my boogers freeze. Yeah, yep. <laughs> like, oh well, that's just the worst there, don't you know? That's like, you know, how fathers always have these crazy stories from when they're walking to school uphill both ways, that kind of thing. And I yeah. remember my father telling me he had icicles hanging out of his nose one day and i was like that's so stupid i don't believe that and sure enough like you said your boogies freeze <laughs> yep ice like, boogers wow okay it's even a calvin and Hobbes strip where calvin's walking in the snow and he's like kind of scrunching up his nose and he turns to the the audience you know breaking the fourth wall and goes, yeah don't you just hate it when your boogers freeze <laughs> yeah like <laughs> granted that was almost 40 years ago but i can't still. believe that i love calvin and Hobbes. I have a Calvin and Hobbes. I have Calvin and Hobbes tattooed on my forearm. Oh, nice! Oh, that's awesome. I have all the books. I books. do too. Nice. And then I have like the nice collection that they put out a few years ago. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So many good ones. So, all right, folks. So, hopefully, um, watching Spaghetti Western will warm you up. <laughs> yeah. Nice, nice heaping helping of spaghetti to get you all nice and cozy. Exactly. And, you know, you you people, you listeners probably thought the ninja was in a deadly trap in the last episode, but you ain't seen nothing until you watch the Shaw Brothers film House of Traps from 1982, which we're going to cover today, as well as we're going to talk about the spaghetti western Duck You Sucker, also known as A Fistful of Dynamite from 1971, with um, the amazing Rod Steiger and James Coburn in this movie, which is just, it's going to be fun to talk about. Um, so just a warning, we do spoil the shit out of these films, just want to let you know. And uh, Fistful of Dynamite is on Tubi, at least as of this recording, which is early February. So um, like always, you probably have to search a little harder for the Shaw Brothers films. But either way, sit back and prepare to enjoy another fun East Meets the West episode. The house is full of traps. No one can get in. So, folks, this movie is a little confusing, but I did find a good synopsis here. The story is about a prince who is planning an uprising to get revenge on his uncle, the emperor. The prince compiles a list of the conspirators pledging their allegiance to his cause and stores it in the House of Traps. 
The house is comprised of an elaborate five-trap system that even the most skilled kung fu would have difficulty emerging from alive. Throughout the film, several conspirators show their allegiance by stealing valuable goods from the emperor. These goods ultimately end up also being stored in the House of Traps. Sensing what's in the works, the Emperor sends out a representative to secretly find out what's going on. While on his travel to the Prince's domain, he's met with several assassination, assassination attempts. Luckily, these are thwarted by a guest the emissary has picked up along the way, later revealed to be one of the Venoms. When killed, trying to recover the stolen goods, the rest of the Venoms get involved in the situation and head out to face the House of Traps. This ultimately leads to a final showdown with the Prince's conspirators, the Emissary's forces, and the Venoms. So, Pat, what was your first impression of this movie? My first impression of this movie is, you know, considering where it came from and, you know, once I saw the House of Traps and, like, some of the elaborate things that they that they put in here it should have just been called shaw because <laughs> you know it's like saw but it's the shaw brothers oh, so there you go <laughs> um hello philip quack oh, yeah, i want to play a game yeah right <laughs> like so <laughs> this has all of the hallmarks of and, and we're gonna get into this obviously yeah all of the hallmarks of a good Shaw Brothers film. Uh, and if you've listened to this before, you know what I think uh, makes a good Shaw Brothers film and how uh, each each specific thing plays into it. But uh, I was very happy to see not one, but two new weapons that we haven't seen yet, yep. uh, which we will get into. Um <clears throat> This one was fun. Uh, it, I mean, as they generally are. And uh, yeah, I, I think that the action, especially the the final fight, like montage scene, like that was the best. Like some of the other stuff, there was, for my taste, not enough <clears throat> action. You know, because usually there's, you know, a big fight at the beginning, then another fight, then another fight, you know, and then the big, massive battle at the end. Right. And it felt like we were, there was a lot more, I don't even want to say intrigue, but it definitely had the feeling of like, you know, an Ocean's Eleven type heist film with all the different double crosses and side deals and everybody going behind you, everybody else's back and the one thing I really, really noticed from this one, and it's like the first minute of the film, was it's like, all right, let's lay out the exposition, which they usually do. Right. Like, Here's the situation. <laughs> We're just going to drop you into this. This is what's going on. Uh, which I don't mind. You know, it's letting us know what's happening and how things are, are affecting the plot and what everybody's motivation is, which is nice. But, like... I don't know if I committed somebody, if I committed murder and forced someone to uh, commit suicide, I'm probably not going to have a mural of it hanging in my office. <laughs> I mean, they're like, oh, they suspected him of killing his, his father. And it's like, here's a mural. Here's a painting of me stabbing my father with an axe. It's like, how could you possibly be like, I'm guilty anymore? 
than having like you had to commission that painting. Right. And it's like, oh, are you going to be like, you know, one of those like fancy, like you know, you're wearing all your, your military gear and like you're posing like all, you know, regal and majestic. And it's like, no, I want you to. And this is purely hypothetical. Uh, <laughs> what would it look like if I killed my father with an axe to the chest? Uh, this particular axe that's got ketchup on it. Um, <laughs> this one. And this is the outfit I was wearing. This is the outfit he was wearing. Uh, what would that look like? And he was on that table right there. Um, again, purely hypothetical. I'm just, I'm setting the mood for this painting. Like, what would, you know, how would that look? And the guy painting the picture has got to be like, you definitely killed that guy with, with an axe. With that axe that you have there. What? No. It's like, how do I know you're not going to kill me as soon as I finish this paint? No, no kidding. <laughs> and again, it's not like he hid the painting, although we do find out later it's on, like, you know, swivelly rotating things. And it's like, why wouldn't you switch it over to the non-murder confession side? Like, I don't, I don't get it. But that was, like, the first thing that stood out to me. It's like, all right, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know, like, what, what kind of killer is dumb enough to have a painting commission of his murder and put it on the wall? Well, I mean, he's also, like, you know, when you think about it, like, he's the guy in charge, so. Yeah, that's true. They can't say anything. Like, what are you going to do? It's like, oh, I'm the prince. It's like, are you? I didn't vote for you. <laughs> you don't vote for kings. <laughs> uh, I did also enjoy some of the names of these characters. Oh, yeah. Like, sky-penetrating rat. So, yeah. <laughs> a bat? Like, I don't... <laughs> I don't get it. But I, the, the one I didn't get was um, brocade-coated rat. Yeah, I don't know what brocade is. Is that like an arcade, but like only for meatheads? <laughs> right, like... only for brothers. It's a brocade. Okay, let's see. What is it? It is yeah, uh, woven fabric having raised floral or figured design that is introduced during the weaving process, usually by means of a jacquard attachment. So, okay. Like short for Jean-Luc Picard? Yeah, <laughs> like very short. So it's like an embroidered rat, like a rat <laughs> that wears embroidery. Brocade is a rich silk fabric with raised patterns in gold and silver. Um, <laughs> I, I guess. Know. Okay. I mean, it uses thread of silver and gold to, I don't know, whatever. I mean, you know, it's a very fancy rat, I guess. River overturning rat. There's, there's uh Chang Shang, uh, River, like, I, what do you, what? Like, how do you overturn a river? You, like, flip, I, I, yeah. Maybe it's uh, a rat that rides one of those kayaks where you can flip over and then get right yourself. Maybe, again. or he builds, like, a bridge underneath, like. <laughs> Under the water? Know. Yeah, it's it's weird. So there's Chin Shu Ho, who was the brocade-coated rat, the fifth sworn brother. Yeah. Chang Sheng was the river overturning rat, the fourth uh, sworn brother, uh, 
Then you have the mountain boring rat. Now, I don't know if you're boring into mountains, like the verb boring. Oh, you put people to sleep. Or the adjective boring. You are as boring as the mountain. <laughs> and that's uh, Tian Chi Chang. Uh, then the earth-piercing rat uh, is Yu Tai Ping, who is the second sworn brother. So a mole I suppose, earth-piercing, like he digs. <laughs> we do see him with a shovel, if I'm remembering correctly. Oh, that's right. It's like, ha-ha, I have a shovel. And he turned it into that fun weapon later that we're going right. to talk about after. And uh, Chu Ko, uh, who is the uh, sky-penetrating rat, right. the first sworn brother. Played by Lu Fang. Yes, and what was up with his headdress? Why did he look like he had a toothache and he had a, a rope wrapped around his head? <laughs> there know? were two guys like that. Yeah. Two guys had like, it's like, oh, my grandmother crocheted me this, you know, poultice for my toothache. <laughs> and the other and the other guy's like, oh, yes, I just tied a squirrel around my head. Yeah. Philip Quash. Like, it looked like a furry octopus. Yeah. All I could think of was the Monty Python sketch, uh, and now a man with a stoat through his head. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what? What is going on? So he was the Black Demon Fox. Which... Yes. Yeah. See, like, that's a cool name. Yeah. Like, that's a cool name. Like, Sick Giant. Like, that's not a cool, cool name. Right. Butterfly. I get that. Oh, See, and what's the... funny is oh, sorry. The, the sky penetrating rat is Lu Fang. Right. But Lu Fang is the actual actor who played Butterfly. Right. So it's like they named a different character <laughs> almost <laughs> after the actor who played somebody else, which, like, that threw me off. So Lu Fang played Chu Ko. No, I'm sorry. Chu Ko played Lu Fang, and Lu Fang played Hua Chong. Right. Like, <laughs> and the best is Chiang Shang paid, played Chiang Ping. <laughs> yeah, like, it's like, all right, guys, none of these characters are named after you, but they're very close. And see, that's what... <sighs> that can be very confusing because on a movie set, and again, I don't know what it was like, you know, 40 years ago when this came out, but on a movie set, occasionally, you will refer to your actor as their character name. Right. Like, it's interchangeable. See, when I was on Holdovers, it was super easy because Paul Giamatti played a character named Paul. So, like, that was easy. It's like, where's Paul? You know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah. But, like, somebody's like, oh, where's Melvin? I'm like, who the hell is Melvin? Oh, that's Joe's character. I'm like, I don't know that. <laughs> like, did you? I just used the the actors' names. Like, oh, I'm looking for Gary. Who the hell's Gary? Oh, that's that's Steve. So like this, where it's like similar character names and different, but different actors. Right. So if Lu Fang played Lu Fang, like, okay. <laughs> It's like, I wasn't quite sure what I heard. Like, you know, which is it? Doesn't matter. Same guy. But where they're different, different people now, it's like, oh, man, 
like, where's Liu Fang? And like, you can't quite hear what they're saying because they're 20 feet away from you. Right. You're like, wait, who? <laughs> He's right there. No, not Liu Fang. Liu Fang. <laughs> oh, What's wrong with you? Don't you know the difference? It's like they have the exact same name. Well, one has an A and one has an E. Don't you know the difference? <laughs> yeah. It's like my uh, my brother's ex-wife name is Ashley. And my wife's name is Ashley, but it's spelled different. So there was a day where I was talking and I was like, oh, yeah, and Ashley did this. And my dad says, which Ashley? I'm like, uh, I pronounced the E-I-G-H. Couldn't you tell the difference? <laughs> Ashley. <laughs> that's funny. Well, that's, yeah, like... Like, that's 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 where you get the. the... I, was, I was done. I was going to say that's where you get the confusion. Oh, OK. Yeah, I was going to say, well, my ex-wife is Sharon. Spelt with an E, Sharon, E-N. And then her sister was Charlene, which was S-H-A-R-L-E-N-E. And my current wife is Charlene, but it's S-H-A-R-L-E-E-N. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, I just put, like like for my ex-wife, so that I don't inadvertently send her the wrong text, I, I put a Z in front of it on my phone. So when it comes up, it's like Z, Sharon. <laughs> put a skull and crossbones in front of it. There you go, yeah. <laughs> Oh, my God. Of course, this movie was directed by Chang Che, uh, written by him as well as Ni Kuang and Yu Kun Shi. And as we mentioned, this has pretty much most of the Venoms except for Lo Meng. We've got Sun Qian, Philip Kwok, Chang Sheng, and Lu Feng, not to be confused with Lu Fang. Uh, <laughs> and I guess this, well, uh, there's a couple things I wanted to mention about this movie it was um, first of all, it's based on a 19th century novel called The Seven Heroes and the Five Gallants, which, by the way, the word gallant reminded me of one of the characters. I, the actor's Wong Lick, which I think he's the pointy nose guy. I could be wrong. But his character was called Sick Giant. <laughs> yeah. And like that's a that's a, an interest. It's like Dick Warlock or <laughs> when I was trying. So side note. Ash and I watched Megan last night, and oh, there was a song, and she's it. like, oh, don't you recognize that song? I'm like, I don't recognize it. So it's like some song called Toy Soldiers from 1989. Oh, yeah, and I was I like, well, that. let me look at the top top songs from 1989, and Google was like, did you mean the top dongs of 1989? <laughs> and I was like, I did not, but that's interesting to know that's, a, that's an option. Oh, my God. That's funny. Um, so, uh, by all accounts, uh, everything I've read about this film saying it's the last uh, Venom film. But there's one more, and when I looked it up, this one came out in uh, January of 82, and the next one we're going to do on our next episode is called Ode to Gallantry, and that came out in December of 82. So it's possible maybe they were just filmed out of order. Um, that one's got Phil Kwok, Chang Shang, and Sun Qian, just doesn't have Lu Feng or Lo Meng in it. So I'm curious why this one's being touted as the final. Maybe because it's got four of the Venoms instead of three. It's entirely possible. Yeah. Because I thought the criteria was three or more of the Venoms have to be in the film for it to be considered a Venom mob film. So, I mean, it's negligible because we're still going to have one more. But now I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that we're just about out of, uh, uh, out of Venom films. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, 
it seems like there's way way more, but I'm thinking of just like the Shaw Brothers filmography, like in totality. Oh yeah, yeah, there's like six hundred something movies, I think. Yeah, like there's so many, and it's like they can't have all been the uh, all been the Shaw Brothers. You mean the Venom mob? Yeah. Yeah. Like they can't all be it. They can't be in all the shop films. Right. Right. And so, folks, at the end of the episode, we'll talk about uh, a little way we're going to branch off on this show and do something a little different. But uh, for now, I wanted to mention, too, that this movie fell into public domain, um, which it was released on DVD a few years back. But then Celestial Pictures somehow, I guess there was 20 minutes of the film that was destroyed or, or ruined or something. And they managed to restore that. Um, so the previous VHS releases didn't have uh, this missing 20 minutes, and that's in public domain. But because Celestial Pictures was able to restore it, uh, they did re-copyright the film with with the extra 20 minutes in it. I'm not sure exactly what 20 minutes were missing. I think what we saw was the 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 current version with that you know in completion. Um, I I. Uh... I thought this movie was exactly as long as it needed to be. Yeah. Which is more than I can say about another film we're going to be talking about today, but <laughs> we'll get into that when we get into that. Oh, man. I did find a newspaper ad for this in Honolulu um, with an like a full picture ad and then a listing in Los Angeles. So I'll try and put them on the website uh, for the show notes. But I, I did like the score in this movie, too. I felt like there might have been a couple moments where they lifted music from something else, but overall I thought it worked for this movie. Yeah, I think the score was uh, was pretty good. It wasn't the... Uh, it wasn't just like a typical uh, Shaw Brothers score. Like, there was some... There's some good stuff to it. <clears throat> they did a lot of little things, too. Like, they didn't follow up on... Like, the one that stands out in my mind is when... <laughs> Lu Feng, he's just standing there. He's got this like yellow backpack on or something, and then he just leaps into the air, and then it cuts to like some faraway place, and he lands <laughs> like he could just fly. Yeah, like, <laughs> but I mean, we also saw him uh, suspend himself by two swords stuck into a beam. That's true. And he just kind of hung there, like, "Ooh, I hope everything works out well for me." Like, yeah. <laughs> What the hell is going on? How do you do this? Like, but again, if you're watching the Shaw Brothers, hoping that they are uh, <laughs> adhering to the natural laws of gravity and physics, you are uh, in for a rude awakening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, I'm not sure which character. I will, I will admit to have been very confused with this movie. I really only watched it one and a half times. I watched it through... And then when I went to do my notes, I watched it on like one and a half speed. Um, but there was this character. It was the guy who was protecting Sun Chan's character. And mm -hmm. he reminded me of Chiang Sheng. And at first I was like, wait a minute, is that him? And then I realized, no, it's not him. Uh, but he kind of had that same energy. You know, I mean, did you notice that? Yeah, like they... Uh... It was almost like, you know, like you were saying how it was, you know, getting close to being the end of the Venom Mob. It's almost like they were auditioning new Venom Mob, uh, you know, actors yeah, to see if, you know, it's like passing the torch on to them. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Um, 
And it's funny because I, I looked at it. Philip Kwok didn't actually show up until 33 minutes into the film. Um, but when he walks in, he just sort of gives this glance towards the camera. He doesn't quite break the fourth wall, but he's just got this smile on his face like when they reveal who he is. And it's like he's saying to the audience, you can relax. I'm here now. <laughs> yeah, like, don't worry. Don't worry. They might be introducing uh, new characters, but I'm here. Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, I'm just looking at some of the the still photos from the from the uh, from the film, and there's the one with the guy standing in front of his his mural of him killing his dad, and the dad's just like. So in the opening scene, like we see the actual murder, and like you know the guy reacts the way you would expect someone to react with an axe in their chest, but in the mural. He just has a look of great disappointment on it. Like, oh, really? You're such a jerk. <laughs> the father? Yeah. Like, if you look at the uh, the IMDb page and the... Uh, oh, let's see. You can see it's picture 11 of 23. And, like, you see the, the, the guy, the prince standing in front of his mural. And the father just is looking at him. Not like someone who had just been stabbed with an axe, but someone who's just been like, it's like, oh... I knew we should have sent you to boarding school. You know, your mother was right about you. You know, like... Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, he just looks up. He doesn't even look like he's mildly inconvenienced. He's just like, you get this from your mother's side. Really? Again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great shot. Dad, I told you I had to ask you a question. Yeah. <laughs> bum We'll have to add that into the uh, the show notes on the website. Yeah, because that's that's funny. Like, <laughs> now how do you explain that to you? It's like, you know what someone would feel like if they got stabbed with an axe. You know, official royal painter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty sure they'd be mildly inconvenienced. <laughs> don't make them look too in inconvenienced. <laughs> yeah, don't make them look too sad. It's like, oh, there seems to be uh, you seem to have cleaved my rib cage in twain. How dare you? <laughs> in twain. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, Philip Kwok, though, steals this movie again, I think. As he always does. Yeah. Although the, the voiceover actors <laughs> didn't quite match. <laughs> He's and got again, this, like, nerdy voice. And again... They have British voices, like the prince is British for some reason. <laughs> oh, yes, deep in the heart of, you know, feudal China. And, like, let's have one guy be British. Right. <laughs> well, he's royalty. He's got to be British, you know. It's like, I, I understand that, like, you know, a lot of bad guys have to have, you know, like the... uh you know the, the the British accent is always great for bad guys. Yeah, you know we saw it in, you know Star Wars. You know Grand Moff Tarkin is British and right. You know, and even like period pieces, like if it's ancient Rome, they have to be British, like Spartacus or like, something. Just about every movie with Mark Strong, like, <laughs> I mean, with the exception of the King uh, Kingsman, like if Mark Strong's in the movie, he's a bad guy because he's British. <laughs> You know, like, and sometimes they'll take British guys and make them bad guys 
but like they won't give him the accent. Like if you've watched uh, The Punisher, Billy Russo, like that guy. Oh yeah, has been doing T-Mobile commercials. I had no idea he was British, right. but like, yeah, he's British, and <laughs> oh, but yeah, it's uh, it's <clears throat> it's always interesting to me to hear the uh, the the voice actors that they use for the dubs because. Well, like for, what are they like Philip Clark's so such a badass and he's got such a nerdy voice <laughs> I think that in this one you know usually they get somebody with like you know kind of like a a, a voice that kind of matches his playful you know characteristics like he's a uh, he's goofy he's fun he's always doing like sleight of hand stuff like oh you could probably kill me with all your daggers, which I have uh, stolen from you and put in my shoe. Right. Like, <laughs> it's like, oh, I could kill you with my daggers. Huh, where are my daggers? Huh, they are in my shoe. Like, <laughs> it's like, and he dumps them out. Like, there's like a hundred of them. <laughs> like, where did you get those? Like, I saw you lift like four of them, but there's like 30 and they're all in your shoe. How are you walking around? Right. Why do you suddenly walk with a limp? <laughs> oh, my shoe is full of daggers. <laughs> that must be some sort of translation issue. Surely you meant to say pebbles. No, daggers. <laughs> Those are mine. <laughs> you jerk. I did tell you as soon as I met you that I was a thief. That's like, hilarious. Some, and some of this plot is like, it's like, oh, where do you keep all your most valuable secrets? In the House of Traps. Can you show me how each one of these works? <laughs> right. Absolutely. Oh, don't forget this one. Yes, but someone who is skilled could get away from this. Yeah, but not from this. Yeah, but somebody who is skilled, you could just go from here to here to here. Yeah, but, you know, not if you did this. Right. <laughs> and we did get our, our two, uh, you know, because you have to have at least one. Oh, this guy has like a million injuries, but he's not dead until he finishes the like his purpose with the plot. Right. <laughs> like the guy caught in the house of traps. So he's caught in the net and the spikes. Then they shoot him full of arrows. Philip Quark's like, yeah, I just let him down. He's, he's totally dead. And the guy jumps down. He's like, ha, I landed on my feet and I'm not dead. Let me fight you. Oh, wait, I am dead. Um, and then I did like the fact that like, as they progressed in the house, like each guy who went to the House of Traps got a little further ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Than the last guy. Almost like, you know, he was able to like write down, like, okay, this is the first thing. This yeah. is the second thing. And scary? like the next guy to come in is like, oh, thank thankfully he left. And I mean, obviously that didn't happen in the movie, but like it, how would they know? And then the second guy to be grievously wounded. <laughs> Is the guy that they were torturing? It's like, ah, this guy's a spy. Quick, torture him. Like, wait, what? <laughs> you just said you're going to teach me Kung Fu. Ha <laughs> ha, I lied and turned you in for treason. <laughs> so <laughs> they, t and this was kind of disturbing. They take the live chicken and slam it down on the spikes. Yeah. That was a little weird. Like, stands and practices are different 40 years ago right. in China. <laughs> So they're like, ah, you can see that these are real spikes. And then they grab the dude and drop him on the spikes and oh. then start jumping up and down on him. And then kicking him around. 
Yeah, they're kicking him back and forth. I'm like, oh, that guy's totally dead. It was like, ha ha. Will you confess now? Like, yeah, the prince did it. It's like, wait, what? That guy's fucking dead. You dropped him chest first onto these spikes and then jumped on his back and then kicked the thing into his chest 67 times. <laughs> like, ah, oh, had enough yet? And I think the like, funny part torture? was the, 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 the purpose of the torture was to prove that he was he was sincere about his accusation. And I was thinking, like, at the end where the, the guy's looking at him and he's like, well, I guess he was telling the truth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not it's not like they were trying to get a confession out of him. Right. Not like, you're going to change your story? You're going to change your story? Nope, nope, nope. Yeah, and they should have let him live. It's like, what's the whole point of killing him? It's like... Well, they, they, they did, and he ended up, like, fighting, like, because they brought him, like, oh, we are accusing you, the prince of treason. Oh, right. Like, what? And, like, they bring him in, and, like, guys, that's, first of all, he's got way too many puncture holes. <laughs> How many spikes are on there? Uh, I think 12. How many puncture holes should he have? I don't know, 70? <laughs> like, and it's not like they kept taking it out and, like, sticking it into him. Like, it was jammed in there pretty good. Right. After they jumped on hey. him. Gary, go look up the, uh, get the medical dictionary. Look up spike and lung. <laughs> Time is a factor. Like, you you wouldn't mind if they were short spikes, like half an inch, but those were long enough to kill him, and yet he Yeah, I assumed that's what they were doing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we'll get the truth out of you. Like, when they dropped him, it's like, okay, like, that's going to break a couple of ribs. Because, like, four guys grabbed him, brought him over to the spikes, and then dropped him on it. Yeah. And we saw how sharp they were when they impaled the chicken. Right. So, like, we know that these are sharp, pointy spikes that are about six, seven inches long each. And then they drop him on it. And then the dude jumps on his back. <laughs> so it's like, that's, he's dead. Right. And then, like, they're kicking him back and forth between the four of them. Then they lift him up and carry him over, and they're like, all right, talk. Like, I can't. <laughs> Both of my lungs have been punctured. It's. Uh... But I have important plot information, so I cannot die yet. <laughs> right. That's the, And that's a hallmark of a Shaw Brothers film. Like, right. no matter how, like the one that we saw where the guy gets, like, tortured and they carve, like, a ransom note into his spine. <laughs> And then he runs 30 miles right. just to be like, oh, the bad guy's got me. And they carved a note into me. Oh, and I'm dead. It's like, <laughs> wow. Like, I used my last tiny ounce of energy to run an entire marathon while bleeding out. <laughs> oh, I can't go on any further. It's like, wait, what? Well, I think at the House of Traps, the most boring job would be to be one of those dudes that has to stand behind the doors and like do they literally just stand around behind the doors waiting on the off chance that somebody might enter the house of traps they have to work in shifts <laughs> like there's there's no there's no way that you know and you have to you have to practice this every day because like you have to wait until like the doors slide open you jump out you got to be at the ready all the time right and then <laughs> You have to be ready to jump back before the gates come down yeah. and the spikes come up. 
So, like, this is something that's, like, precision. Like, this is tougher than being a Rockette. Like, you have to have the timing and the, and the, the, the readiness. Like, you have to be ready to go at a moment's notice. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, and how how often does this happen? Like, I would try to do it. Like, I would sneak in in between shifts. Because that way I don't have to fight anybody. I can just run up the stairs because, like, there's a changing of the guard. But yeah. there's what, like, twenty four guys, something like that, yeah. Six, six on each wall. <laughs> oh no, it was four on each wall. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So sixteen guys. Yeah. So if you're gonna have a rotation of at least three, you gotta have forty eight guys. Then you gotta have people like, what if you know Jeff gets sick, and then you're gonna have to bring in you know somebody else. So like they have to be ready at all times. Yeah, it's or somebody's double shifting. Yeah, <laughs> and it, then some of those guys get killed by the more skilled swordsmen. So it's like, all right, you know, call down to the farm team. You know, bring bring them up to the big leagues now. So you got to have like tons of those guys. You have to have so many matching outfits. Right. <laughs> like it's just this is why evil mastermind people who have these type of like henchmen with matching uniforms they are constantly like robbing banks and like trying to steal priceless pieces of art because you have health care that you have to provide for your employees <laughs> right you have four, matching 401k benefits you, you have all this stuff and you know one of your biggest expenditures is gonna be that's why they usually just wear like these cheap jumpsuits because you can get them like wholesale you know in yeah, get them in bulk. Like, <laughs> all right, guys, you know, we got, it's like, oh, you know, blue jumpsuits again. It's like, listen, this is what's cheap. It's off season. Walmart was clearing them out. Like, right, boss, did you at least get my size? Sorry, Leon. All we have is, you know, 3X or child's medium. Like, one or the other. Look at you. You don't even have a name tag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, anonymous henchmen hiding behind the door all day long. It's like, and it, like, when was the last time anyone wandered into the House of Traps and got caught in the traps? It's like, it, it seems like it didn't happen to anybody until this. They were busy that movie. weekend, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Super busy that weekend. That's like their Christmas time at like at their like UPS or FedEx. It's like, oh man, yeah. There's maybe two or three guys breaking in here. It's like, well, you know, ever since they brought in the jade horse, first of all, that horse didn't look jade; it looked like alabaster. Right. <laughs> I mean, maybe it was white jade. I don't know. I'm not caught up on my minerals. Um, I think it was lost so it's in like, the translation. It's like, all right, this is what they have in the in the in the that they're keeping in the House of Traps that's so valuable, why they have to keep... It was the... What is it? Like the fake marker that, the, they, that, yeah. that he stole? His seal. The, yeah, the seal. The, the magistrate's seal. Yeah. And then the uh, the jade horse. And then it was supposed to be the list of all the defectors. Right. That's right. Yeah. Keep... All I kept thinking, though, is... The Simpsons episode where he's like, 
he's talking to Homer and he's like, remember, you must find the jade monkey before the next full moon. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> we found that. We found the jade monkey, sir. It's in your glove compartment. The ice scraper and the maps, they were in there too. It's all falling into place. Like, <laughs> has nothing to do with anything. It's just like some random plot point, but right. like, it's super fun. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. They, they, and then, like, they're super prepared to get into the House of Traps. So Philip Quack goes in and he's defeating all the ninjas. He's defeating the trap. And we get into the. So when you get in, you have to fight all the guys. Right. Then all the guys jump back through their revolving doors like the kids in the lockers from You Can't Do This on Television. <laughs> and then these grates come down, and then spikes come up out of the floor. The spikes come up out of the floor. Well, there's a stairway here, like some stairs. I'll just climb up those stairs. Oh, but the stairs are deadly razors and turn into a slide, and they completely like collapse, so you'll fall and land on the spikes. But Philip Kwok knows better, so he can jump and just stab two swords into a wooden beam and be completely horizontal <laughs> and just hold that while his buddy, the uh, earth-piercing rat, can go in and dig. Like, he shows up as, like, a day laborer to fix the pal. Like, oh, you need to fix the shingles on the roof. Oh, work in my garden. And, like... He has this gleaming silver shovel that he uses to dig through <laughs> and like cut all of apparently every trap is on like a rope and pulley system. Right. So he just cuts all the ropes and like, ah, we're all good. It's like now we have to climb up and like one guy gets crushed by a beam. <laughs> I was like, oh, I was just care. I was just careless. And now I will go and keep my father company in the afterlife. Uh, oh, it's just like, it's like. He's like laughing and just goes uh, and dies. Like it's what? Like, um, oh, and then they're like, "All right, we need a way to get to the cage. It's like a hanging starvation cage, but like that's where all the stuff is, right?" And Philip Quack pulls out like the tiniest little hook and like fishing lure chain, like. <laughs> It's like you have a guy who had a shovel, takes off the shovel blade, replaces it with a hand. Right. And it was the back scratcher of death because he uses that as a weapon. And that was like my favorite weapon that they used. Is that the one, too, that he used it as a grappling hook? <laughs> so it's like. You have this thing, like, why don't you use the hand, like, use, like, one of those, like, reacher things, and, like, you pull a trigger, and it closes the hand. Just reach out, grab the cage, and pull it. Right. Why do you have to throw the world's smallest fishing hook? <laughs> and they pull it over, like, oh, here's this thing. Here's the jade horse. Where's the where's the name of all the, uh, of all the guys? Oh, the prince has that. Well, if you knew that. <laughs> why are we here? Why? Well, we had to get the jade horse. Like, <laughs> there's an easier way to get the jade horse. <laughs> that dude's dead. Larry's dead. He got crushed by a pillar. Oh, All right, man. we'll send another uh, anonymous guy to go <laughs> to go get the 
Oh. You get the thing from the... Oh, my God. So one of the most ridiculous things. So, again, they have this awesome fight. You know, dude's got his back scratcher of death. And he, you know, they're they're fighting and, like, you know, everybody's killing the guys that they need to kill. The bad guys are all losing. And they finally obtain this list of all the de- uh, defectors. And then the dude who was supposed to be dead, again, this is the third time, <laughs> dude was supposed to be dead, gets up, takes the list, eats it, and goes, ha ha, the list is now in my tummy. Like, <laughs> wow. And that was Lu Feng, by the way. Yeah. And when, when these movies end, they tend to end just end. Right. Like, there's no gradual fade out. It's just like freeze frame. Like, it could keep going, and like sometimes it almost doesn't even feel like a satisfying ending because there's still like a ton of shit going on. Like how many times it's like, oh, the army showed up, let's run away, and like guys are running away, and the movie just ends, right? <laughs> or they're like, ah, oh, we can take on all of these guys, and like they leap into the air, and the movie ends, and like there's never a, a conclusion. Like you don't know what happened. Right. Well, like in this one, they they started ripping him apart, I think, to get the the letter out of his stomach. And, and it's just... what I was going to ask, like, do you think that they were try- like, first of all, it wouldn't be there. Second of all, it was all shredded up and destroyed. Right. Yeah. I mean, and Philip Quark's like, it doesn't matter. Like, it's just going to end up, you know, it's just going to create more bloodshed. Like, there's no reason to. Right. The prince is gone now. So, yeah, he's dead. <laughs> And the dude falls for the oldest trick. He's like, oh, yeah, here's the list. And it's like, why are you handing it to me like that? Is it wrapped around a knife? (laughs) No. (laughs) And then he kills him. And then all of a sudden just goes, forgive me, father, and slices his own throat with a Tai Chi sword. Right. What? (laughs) Like, all of a sudden you have remorse for everything you've done? You just stabbed a guy. You stabbed the list of defectors to the guy (laughs) and then you slice your own throat because oh i just realized all this it's like the scene from family guy when they go to jail and the guy comes in and he's gonna like he says he's gonna kill him but they are able to get bailed out and they leave and he comes in he's like i'm gonna get you oh and he sits down in the empty cell, and he's got a shiv, and he, like, stabs himself. He's like, ah, that's what I've been doing to people? I belong here. Like, <laughs> like and that's what this reminded me of. It's like, ah, I've spent the entire, like, oh, this guy said that you're a traitor. Arrest him and kill him. Oh, what are you going to do? Arrest me too? Arrest him. Oh, crap. Right. Oh my god! Like he's just like arresting everybody that could challenge his power, kills this one guy, and then kills him. has like the most out of left field, out of left field change of heart I've ever seen. Yeah, on anything, and it's like, <laughs> oh, you're right, I am a bad guy. I must kill myself now. <laughs> and at least the guy who gets stabbed with the knife comes out and he's like, oh, he's dead, but I have the list. Right. And Lufang takes the list away from him and <laughs> eats it. And he goes, ha ha, it is in my tummy. Like, that was what he said. It is in my tummy. Like, 
No, it's not. It's still hanging out of your mouth. And how are you going to eat anything with a giant slash wound across your abdomen? Right. It's just going to slip right out the hole. Yeah. It's like any time you watch, you know, like a cartoon when, like, somebody gets shot a bunch of times and they go to drink water and it just <laughs> spews out of all the, the holes. Right. It's like, oh, oh um, so a couple of last things here. Chiang Sheng, uh, I, I timed it. He doesn't show up until 59 minutes into the movie. Oh, yeah. With him and his well, buddy, the closest magicians. But I got yes. to a point where I... Yeah, the magicians. The magicians. Yeah, with the, the spinning, with the fan. That was cool. That they end up using as a weapon. Yeah. That was the other new weapon. And I love how, like, you can just hold this paper umbrella up in the air and um, Chiang Sheng can just run run across it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, he's light on his feet. You know, he, he runs on the umbrella, and it turns out, like, if you take the, like, parts of the umbrella off, it's a spinning blade weapon drill-looking thing. Yeah. Which, again, fun. I like when they introduce new weapons. We saw the nice hooked swords for a while. Yes. Um, You know, we saw the spear staff thing. One guy uh, had those two things that so you have one in each hand. It's like a giant brass knuckle, but it's like a saw blade. Or they're like yes. two saw blades. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then we had some tonfa. Yep. Uh, so that was fun. I liked that. And it was cool that Chang Shane got to show off his acrobatic skills in that scene. Where he's doing like the, the handstands and the leaping and all that stuff. It was just really impressive. Yeah. But the final no, fight is good oh, stuff. Ahead. What? I was just saying it's good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the final fight between Lu Feng and Phil Kwok was really good, too. And, of course, back to form with his pole, his spear, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I think, that, I think that's got to be his weapon of choice throughout all of the movies we've covered because he's, like, the best with it. Yeah. You know, and, you know, that, you know, the, the sword versus the, the spear is always a fun one to watch. Yeah. That's cool. So, uh, anything else you want to mention about this movie, or should we just get into final thoughts? I mean, I think uh, I think I was pretty thorough on, you know, what I was, what I was feeling about this. Like it was, it was a lot of fun. So yeah, I mean, like let's let's get into final thoughts. Yeah, uh, why don't you go, Pat? Okay. Uh, yeah. So, like I was just saying, it was a lot of fun. I I enjoyed the the fight scenes like some of the stuff was over the top ridiculous and ranked fairly high on uh, what bill simmons used to refer to as the unintentional comedy meter um you know the guy getting killed by the by the pylon in the thing and then like remembering that he's supposed to die and then dying like everybody who suffers these terrible wounds only to get up five <laughs> minutes later and be like, aha, I'm okay. Right. Um, but it had, you know, again, Philip Quack steals the show as he always does because he's just the best. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this one. I would have liked to have seen a little more action during, uh, you know, the, the other parts of the film, but I guess you know, that was really relegated to everybody trying to break into the, the house of traps. And like you saw 
three different people tried to get in there. Everybody keeps getting killed. So there was a decent amount of, you know, sword play and action in there. So I guess I can't complain too much, but uh, yeah, I liked it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. This was definitely a fun movie. Like you said, lots of great kills in it. Um, the traps in the house were fun too. Um, I cheered when Chiang Shang showed up. And actually when Philip Kwok did too, I was like, oh yes, finally. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, good. <laughs> so uh, this movie was very hard for people to find over the years. We kind of talked about that a little bit earlier. So it doesn't quite get the love that it deserves because not a lot of people have seen it. Um, but there is a DVD and a Blu-ray out there. But if you look on Amazon, the DVD is like 12, 13 bucks and the Blu-ray $73. So um, if you got the money... <laughs> go for it but i just recommend seeing this movie probably the cheaper version's better um yeah i mean at some point i'm gonna get the the collection of shot brothers films because i mean yeah why not it's like 200 bucks but you get like 20 movies or more plus extras. i mean you know that's fair i mean 10 bucks a movie yeah well that's true that's not bad yeah I picked up two, and I didn't. I didn't bother bringing it up because I don't have them with me. But I um, uh, there's a store in Portland, Maine, that I discovered called Strange Maine, and they have a zillion VHS tapes. And now that I got my VHS players up and running, um, I've been buying a whole bunch of them, and I grabbed a whole bunch of kung fu films from there. So I'll have to look nice. through those and see if they're Shaw Brothers ones or not. All right, so folks, we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to discuss the spaghetti western "Duck You Sucker," aka a fistful of di- <laughs> fistful of <laughs> fistful of diarrhea. No, a fistful of dynamite from 1971, starring the great actors Rod Steiger and James Coburn. Sergio Leone, the master of adventure who brought you a fistful of dollars for a few dollars more. And the good, the bad, and the ugly now brings Rod Steiger and James Coburn together to blow you apart. (laughs) Duck, you sucker. As one, a mean, filthy, greedy, rotten, bloodthirsty bandit. When his finger gets itchy, someone gets scratched. James Coburn as John, the exploding Irishman, a walking stick of dynamite with a very short fuse. Rub him the wrong way, and he'll go off in your face. Duck, you sucker. You understand now? Anything you say, firecracker. Together, they'll blow you apart. We are like two brothers. I mean, you you make the holes with the holy water, and I walk in and do the dirty work, eh? You've come here to join the revolution. Oh, one was enough for me. Ah! 
You Sucker, also known as A Fistful of Dynamite and Once Upon a Time, The Revolution, is a 1971 epic Zapata Western film directed and co-written by Sergio Leone and starring Rod Steiger, James Coburn, and Romolo Valley. Excuse me. Set during the Mexican Revolution of the 1910s, the film tells the story of Juan Miranda, an amoral Mexican outlaw, and John Mallory, a former member of the Irish Volunteer Army. After they accidentally meet under less than friendly circumstances, Juan and John involuntarily become heroes of the revolution, despite being forced to make heavy sacrifices. In the second film of Leone's unofficial Once Upon a Time trilogy, which includes the previous Once Upon a Time in the West from 1968 and the subsequent Once Upon a Time in America 1984, the last Western film directed by Leone, it is considered by some to be one of his most overlooked films. So, this one I have conflicting feelings about. <laughs> okay. Well, while it rivaled uh, the Return of the King for most endings uh, of a movie, <laughs> I also found it very difficult to root for a rapist right that uh that's difficult like yes the people on the train were all assholes yes they were treating him very poorly but uh i get robbing them i understand that you know you have a family to look after so you're you're robbing them you're taking their stuff uh, you're forcing them to, you know, lose their primary mode of transportation, which is this very nice wagon. <laughs> but the sexual assault is something that I had a hard time getting past. Like this is the hero of the of the story. 
I get, you know, again, the, you know, robbing the rich to feed the poor type thing, especially when like these people were so unlikable, like, you know, there's a cardinal and like all these aristocrats like talking shit about one while he's in the train with them, not allowing him to sit with them like, oh, you know, there were a lot of racial slurs being thrown around. Yeah. Uh, especially in that audio montage that they kept looping over and over again. Um, again, I understand this was, you know, you know, made 50 years ago and things weren't quite as progressive as we might like to think we are today. Um, yeah, this was a, this was, um, it was a choice made by Sergio Leone to have the hero of the film be this utterly unlikable villain who right. I mean and I will say uh and I watched this on Tubi so there was a an unfortunate commercial edit where so the the woman that was on the train he takes her off to the side and like kind of corners her and like whips his dick out he's like hey pretty nice huh and she clearly wants nothing to do with him and he you know he forces himself upon her and the uh as he's you know starting the assault it the camera focuses in on a hairy ass which turns out isn't his right but i mean that's a hell of a transition and then it went to commercial because i watched it on tubi as well yeah and two year left is the grand canyon but even the uh he forces the uh the males of the train also to disrobe so they take all of their they take everything from them they leave them with literally nothing she keeps her clothes on but she's already been sexually violated right um and you could argue that you know stripping a bunch of men naked and putting them in a wagon and shoving the wagon down a hill into uh, a pig pen might be a step too far it's like <laughs> yeah these guys are being jerks uh and they're clearly racists you know aristocrats but taking everything from them, you know, all their money and stuff, yeah, that's, you know, that's that's reasonable. Like I'm, I'm okay with that. But the 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 rape, sexual assault, forcing guys to be naked, like I thought that was a a, a bit too far for me, and it kind of took me out of the movie at the beginning, especially mm-hmm. where this is the character we're supposed to be following and rooting for. Right. Like, how do you root for that guy? Right. I almost got the impression, too, in that scene, and it's I think it's slightly different than your take on it when he's he violates her, is she almost seemed like she was tantalized by him because she makes a comment prior to that when, like you said, they were insulting him. And the way she was saying, oh, and they're so primitive and uncivilized, and, and she keeps looking at him like, you know, it's uh, not to say, you know, his assault was a good thing obviously it's a terrible thing but i think i think that that her character in some way um was a little turned on by the fact that he was a bad boy and then of course he just took it too far 
Um, yeah, like it's you know the whole like oh the forbidden fruit angle like oh I shouldn't want I shouldn't want this but you know I do you know yeah not that she did but like you know maybe under her own circumstances like you know like we've seen in some of these you know Django and Chain comes to mind it's like oh if you like any of these girls we'll have them sent up to your room for you right you know I could admit and I'm sure you know like the implication is that she's had several of these uh young men sent up to her you know so she can you know do as she will with them which again is also not okay unless they were consenting to it right but you know two wrongs don't make a right here um yeah she's just a uh, an awful awful person but not only like and when he takes her jewelry from her and she you know she's clearly all disheveled like her dress is gone she's just kind of wearing like her undergarments from the dress and he's like thank you for everything like that's fucked up yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. There's a quote of, um, from this book I have. It's um, it's uh, called "Any Gun Can Play." It's all about spaghetti westerns, and they, it was saying how um, a lot of times in some of these movies, certain scenes are treated relatively like certain violent scenes are treated relatively lightly, um, and it references the opening coach sequence in which Rod Steiger and his brood show up show up polite society as a mess of prejudices, hypocrisy, and insecurities. Even the rape isn't treated seriously. Yeah, so. which, yeah, I get it. And again, this is something from 50 years ago where sensibilities were a lot different. Things were handled much differently. Right. Um, but it's still, you know, I'm watching it in 2023. I'm not watching it in 1971. I'm I'm having a hard time with I was again I was fine with you know the whole Robin Hood type thing where yeah. you know they're talking shit about him and like acting like he's you know this subhuman creature that like doesn't understand what they're saying like do you know how many kids you have do you know who your father was do you know how many kids your mom had like treating him like he's this you know animal because he's not rich and white yeah like they're come up and you know they're robbing the they're robbing the stagecoach it's like okay that's fun like i'm fine with that that's totally cool you know these smug assholes are gonna get their comeuppance by all their you know the thing that they love most their money getting taken from them yeah i'm totally fine with that and then you know the guy reaches for a gun and so like there's a group of his kids Juan's kids that are holding guns on these people and he pulls the trigger on one of the kids guns yeah and he even says to him after he goes remember nobody shoots unless I pull the trigger right you know so it's like okay you know he's got this nobility to him you know like the kids are there to kind of hold everybody at bay. But if anything's going to happen, he's the one who's doing it. So he's almost protecting the kids. Right. Right. 
You know, so you're like, okay, you know, he's clearly not a bad guy. He's somebody we can root for. Right. And except... then he goes and rapes the women, the the woman on the <laughs> right. train, and it's just like, how now do I, do I, uh, do I root for this guy? Like I can't. Like you had me up until this point, and then you took it too far. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can see. I was definitely uncomfortable in that scene. I didn't. I didn't think much of it beyond that, um, except for the poor naked guys in the in the cart going down the hill. I'm like, dude, their junk is going to get hurt. <laughs> you can't do that. Well, I mean, that. there's not just that. Like, the dude, like, you know, as I, I was telling you off the air about one of my uh, adventures in filmmaking and where we were filming uh, – was called Boys Beach in uh, in Provincetown. And it was uh, a clothing optional. <laughs> and most people exercise the option not to have any. <laughs> and all I could think of was, I really hope these guys are using sunscreen because I've had sunburn on my arms, my back, my legs my face like yeah there are areas i just do not want to get sunburned <laughs> and uh oh, man. i mean that's what i was thinking when i was watching these guys it's like man i hope that he's not super like super scalded by the sun right <laughs> oh my god so uh, prior to watching this film, were you familiar with Rod Steiger and James Coburn? Oh, James Coburn, yeah, yeah. And uh, Rod Steiger, I knew from um, oh, Coburn. I really liked in uh, another semi western, um, Maverick. Oh yeah, with Mel Gibson uh, and uh, what's his name? Uh, the, the guy that James played, Garner. James Garner, yeah. I was trying to remember. I was like, eh, yeah, and Jodie Foster. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Rod Steiger. I mean, Chief Bill Gillespie in the heat of the night. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's where I knew him from. Oh, yeah. Um, He's been in so many classics. I mean, On the Waterfront, Dr. Zhivago. Um, but what I remember him from was two movies, actually. The Illustrated Man from 69, where I don't know if you've ever seen it. it's based on a Ray Bradbury um, book with a bunch of short stories and basically he's this guy who's covered in tattoos from head to toe and each tattoo has a story that it tells and um, the, the one thing I always remember from this in fact um, I think we talked about it. I would listen to Quentin Tarantino's podcast and he said um, they were talking about this and the line in the movie is someone goes oh uh, I like your tattoos or something like that and he goes they're not tattoos they're skin illustrations <laughs> I mean, I get it. I mean, James Coburn also, you know, Monsters, Inc. He played oh, yeah. Mr. Waternoose. Yeah, in like Flint. Um, he was in the Payback. Magnificent Seven. Yep, yep, yep. The Great Escape. And uh, Rod Steiger played uh, in the episode where Homer joins the Navy on The Simpsons. He was uh, Captain Tennille. <laughs> this is... Maybe it's the salt water in my veins or the nitrogen bubble in your in my brain, but 
taking a real shine to you. And he, uh, Homer accidentally fires him out of a torpedo tube. <laughs> That's funny. He's also, I remember him well from um, the Amityville Horror. He was the priest that loses his mind in that. Yes. And I just remember my mother going, oh, that Rod Steiger, he always overacts. <laughs> well, I mean, you got to let him do what he's got to do, you know? Oh, and I felt like he was all in to this character. You know, with the one unfortunate exception of what he did to that woman, it's like he was totally into this character. I mean, he he brought a lot of energy to him. No, he did. He He, again, not taking anything away from you know, the actor's portrayal, I just, I had a, a very difficult time after that scene. Like, how do I root for this guy? Like, all he wants to do is double cross everyone. He's definitely a reluctant hero. Yeah. Like, he ends up, like, he gets tricked by James Coburn so many times. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, I told you I'd take you to the bank. I didn't say there was any money in it. And he goes, ah, oh, but that's what I wanted to do. That's all. He goes, yeah, and you did it. <laughs> right. You just saved 150 people. You're a hero of the revolution. And he's like, I don't want to be a hero of the revolution as they're like lifting him up onto their shoulders. Like, I want money. <laughs> like, it's like, okay, that was pretty good. Like that. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, like it's not equitable for what happens. And there's a lot of, again, unintentional comedy. Like when he's trying to work the machine gun, when they're like shooting at the bridge. Yeah. But this movie I thought was over four or five times. Right. Me too. <laughs> and it's like, Oh, well they wrapped up that entire plot line. Ah, now we get into the third movie. It's like, wait, what? Right. <laughs> like, why is this still going? There's an hour left. How does this work? I'm like, They've already completed two entirely independent plot lines. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, so this is, as we said, Sergio Leone directed and wrote this. Um, and he's also um, also Sergio Donati and Luciano Vincenzoni are credited with writing uh, the screenplay and the story as well. Or co-writing, I should say. Um, and it's basically, like you said, it's considered his last spaghetti western. Um, which was interesting because I heard something recently and I didn't couldn't find it online, but basically, supposedly this movie was his tribute to Sergio Corbucci. He he directed it. It's very different than a lot of his other films, and he directed it in Corbucci style. Hmm. So I thought that was really interesting, and especially you know with the whole taking place around the um the what do you call it the Mexican, Mexican Revolution. Revolution, yeah, which we've seen in what two or three films of Corbucci's. Yeah. Um, but the thing is about this film too is that it doesn't it doesn't focus on the politics. It focuses on John and Juan becoming friends and Juan's love for his family over politics and everything else, you know. Loves them so much they they they, they work with him until they all die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. But like there's a lot of double cross and triple cross, and it's like, aha, my friend from years ago. Like, oh, I need to pick someone to go with me on this dangerous suicide mission. <laughs> and, you know, Juan's like, fine, I'll go and I'll do it. It's like, I'm going to pick this guy. And it's like, gee, I wonder if he knows he's a uh, 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 playing for the other team. And, and like, just 
trying to double cross him and screw him over. Right. <laughs> oh my god. I didn't get the part. There's a scene where him and his crew are on a, a train because again, what's his name? Double crossed him and just jumped off his horse onto a passing train. So they catch the next one, and then there's this doctor character who's sitting there, and I think what was it like? The conductors were coming in, or the conductor was going to, um, you know, basically toss them off the pl- off the train, and the doctor's sitting behind him, and he puts a gun in the conductor's back. Yeah. And I didn't get why he was helping him. Because it would have, uh, it was beneficial for him at that time. Oh, right, because he snuck onto the train too, didn't he? Okay, yeah. Interesting, interesting. So, yeah, a couple of things about this um, Sergio Leone. Um, you know, he, I guess his previous Spaghetti Westerns were trying to d- deconstruct the romanticization, romanticization of the American Old West. Um, and he decided Duck You Sucker was going to, you know, deconstruct um, the nature of revolution and shed light on political instability of contemporary Italy. So Interesting. And, and he, one of his things, too, was just to basically show you that, you know, revolutions, while in theory they're good, they don't really help the poor people because, you know, another set of rich people end up in charge anyways. Right, because that's usually the way it works. It's never like, like, all right, we got rid of, you know, this, you know, rich guy it's like oh well thank god that there's another rich guy who's going to serve his own interests i mean that's world history like for as long as there's been money <laughs> like <laughs> yeah exactly i guess leone wanted to make this a huge like epic film and donati and vincenzoni were like no it's it's a low budget thriller <laughs> So they had some conflict there in the set. Oh, and he wasn't going to be the original director. Actually, Peter Bogdanovich was his choice for original director, um, but he he had issues with. He felt like uh, he there was a lack of control, so he left. And then uh, Sam Peckinpah was going to direct it, um, but then he wanted too much money from United Artists. <laughs> so Peck, uh, Leo I mean, I, I I I can see that. I mean. And you got Ennio Morricone doing his 900th uh, <laughs> Western uh, movie. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, basically, Rod Steiger refused to play Juan unless Leone himself directed the movie, too. So that kind of cemented it for him. Yeah. But, you I know. know. I just. I... This one was. Uh... There's a lot of stuff about this that. To me, made it uh, a more difficult watch. I mean, I liked Coburn. Uh, I thought he was good. Uh, I liked the way he almost always had an Irish accent. Um, yeah, almost. Almost, <laughs> almost always. Um, that was pretty good. Um, you know, the supporting characters were pretty good. There's, you know, some comedy and stuff to it. Um. I don't know. This it just it was tough for me because it just it seemed like a four and a half hour movie. 
Yeah, see, I didn't quite get that because I ended up watching it over the course of two nights, so I didn't uh, really notice how long it was. <laughs> yeah, I watched it Saturday night. Uh, so last night. Yeah. Because today is Sunday. Uh, yeah, I watched it last night, and um, no, again, I didn't, I didn't hate it. I just, you know, there's a lot of choices that were made that I kind of question. Right. But you know, and as as when you're dealing with such a convoluted plot, like they did wrap it up in a pretty good way. Um, but I prefer my protagonist learn a lesson. Um, and Juan really doesn't at the end. I mean, like the last line of the movie is what about me? Like, what am I going to do? Like, right. <laughs> it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting too. Uh, uh, here's a quote from Leone about this film. He said, uh, I chose to oppose an intellectual who has experienced a revolution in Ireland with a naive Mexican. You have, you have two men, one naive and one intellectual self-centered as intellectuals too often are in the face of the naive. From there, the film becomes a story of Pygmalion reversed. The simple one teaches the intellectual lesson. Nature gains an upper hand, and finally, the intellectual throws away his book of Bakunin's writings. You suspect damn well that this gesture is a symbolic reference to everything my generation has been told in the way of promises. We have waited, but we are still waiting. I have the film say, in effect, revolution means confusion. So, I definitely I can... get that message out of it. Yeah. I was going to say, I can see that. Yeah. And he, he throws that book, and then there's these guys, in this uh, Mexican soldiers and tanks, and, like, the one guy looked like a German. He looked like a Nazi, and I, I guess they did that on purpose. Yeah, like, I was, I was, that was another thing that, like, I was so confused about, and it kind of took me out of it. It's like, I'm like, maybe I need to brush up on my history, but I don't, like, I thought the Germans were fairly busy in 1913. <laughs> right. Like, um. I didn't didn't think that they were helping out in Mexico. Well, yeah, I was confused too when, I, when the scene first came on. I'm like, wait a minute, are they they're in North America? Why are there Germans there? But they weren't. <laughs> no, it's just guys supposed to look like Germans, which I get if you're trying to make uh, make somebody look like an evil dictator or like a, you know an evil whatever. Like if it's politically driven, like you want to make someone look evil. Um, yeah, uh, doing it with a uh, you know German-looking guy, like even by proxy, like right. yeah, make him look, make him look scary, make him look German, and yeah. people will be like, "Yep, that's yeah. a bad guy." Yeah. <laughs> I oh, mean, man. it was either that or like try and you know throw like a, a and it wouldn't make sense because. You know, of the time period, like you said, you know, you know, why were there Germans in North America? But like, you know, usually movies that come out around that time when you're trying to make someone look scary or bad, like who's the flavor of the week? Like for the longest time, the, uh, the bad guys were always like German and then it was Russian and then it was now everybody is vaguely Middle Eastern, like, right. It just what's what happens, you know, what's the political climate uh, going on in the in the world today? Like, that's how we're going to figure out our. Uh, 
our um, what you call it, our 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 antagonist. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But then in terms of protagonist, though, you got James Coburn, who was really awesome. It's like I I was trying to picture Lee Van Cleef in the role, and I think he would have been good. But I I think Coburn added sort of um like an emotional level to it um because of you know you had the flashbacks of his girlfriend and her other boyfriend or i don't know they were swingers or something <laughs> but you know he he added i think an emotional depth to the character that i don't think lee van cleef could have done yeah i think lee van cleef would have been too menacing too overpowering to yeah. uh for that specific role yeah, yeah. I mean, I could see him totally being a badass, you know, with dynamite, dynamite expert. <laughs> but oh yeah, especially that that see where he like drops the little fluid on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! And then the one guy blows himself up. <laughs> yeah, it's like all you need is balls. It's like oh yeah, go ahead, show us, kablam! And he's holding the guy's hat up. Yeah, with the looking hole in through it. the hole in it, I'm like. It's like, yep, there's the unintentional comedy. And what did he... um, I didn't understand. Like, I understand if you've got a fuse and you cut it short, it's going to burn quicker. But I got the impression that he had different kinds of fuses, ones that burned faster than others. Is that the case here? Did you get that? I think that's a little of both. Yeah. Like, he obviously knew what he was doing. Um. Because, you know, he's in his, like, little thing, and he's like, oh, yeah, short fuse. You know, like, he could hear it. Uh, but, like, the way he was so bad at, like, ah, we'll just kill you. It's like, I wouldn't. Uh, that one line that he has is like, you shoot me now, I drop this, you'll have to redraw all the maps. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was a pretty good line. I like yeah. that. I did like James Coburn's character, like, Although you couldn't quite tell what his motivation was. Yeah. He kept, he was very vague about what he wanted and what he didn't want and where he was going with things. And well, and he's so burned out from the Irish revolution that where does he go to get away from it? The Mexican revolution. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, maybe we'll go to America. Let's go to America. We're going to go. It's this way. It's like this way, like you just point and go like (laughs) kind of weird, but like, all right. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's an interesting film. I liked. uh, Oh, sorry. Um, Like I said, I liked Coburn. I liked uh, the dynamic with with uh, Rod Steiger. Um, You know, it's just funny to me where they have this theme of so many guys, so many people like being like ultra racist and you have like a white dude playing a Mexican revolutionary (laughs) in brown face. Like, yeah. All right. Like, like, oh, man, racism's so bad. Anyways, uh, put on your uh, brown face now so <laughs> you can go play this Mexican guy. 
Rod Steiger. Oh my god. Yeah, I know. I was thinking We're going to do that whole... without a We're going to do that without a drop of ironic thought. Yeah. <laughs> we're just going to let that play out and see how things work. I think just back then that was just the norm. They didn't even think twice about it. They're like Okay, you're gonna play a Mexican now. I mean, look at John Wayne, uh, John Wayne playing Genghis Khan. John Tom. Wayne. <laughs> All right, now pilgrims, we're gonna invade everywhere. I'm Genghis Khan. It's like, oh, uh, Lawrence Olivier is Othello. Yeah. <laughs> I think even Anthony Hopkins did Othello in blackface. Yeah, not... Did he? I think so. Ugh. I'd have to look that up. I mean, I just rewatched Tropic Thunder a couple oh, weeks yeah. ago, and you have Robert Downey Jr., Kirk Lazarus. It's like, yeah, he's a hardcore method actor. He like <laughs> got a pigmentation surgery to play this to play this part, <laughs> and it's like, oh my god. <laughs> Like some of the stuff that they get away with in that movie, and that was just like 2008. Yeah, yeah. Like that's that's some wild stuff. Yeah. Um. The, the one good thing I pulled out of this movie that I liked was the um. I love just love the whole going from the characters going from bandits to becoming heroes. I like that as a theme. Um. You know, and it, I thought it was interesting towards the end of the movie. When Coburn is shot and, you know, uh, Steiger's kind of holding on to him, they're talking, it's like you can hear the fighting going on in the background, but the camera's not focusing on that. It's it's lingering on the two of them where, you know, John tells Juan, you know, you could be a general one day. And he's like, why would I want to be a general? I don't want to be a general. I just want money. <laughs> so I just thought I th there's a lot of good out of this movie, I think. Um but yeah, it's definitely it's kind of marred by that whole rape scene. If they just didn't even like insinuate it, he could have just robbed them, like you said. There was no need for that. So yeah, there's no need to make everybody naked. There's no need to sexually assault anybody. Just take all their money, right? And then you're good to go. Like just make them, uh, you know, kind of pay for their their insolence and their racism by. Stealing all their money. Right. Like, Hit them where it hurts. All their stuff. And then it's like, yep. Uh, you just have to walk that way and you'll come to a town. It's about five miles away. Have fun. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was hard to kind of figure out what Coburn's, um, his motivation, motivation. was. I, I almost think he was just like going wherever... You know, wherever the wind takes him, and oh, I guess I'm caught up in this revolution now, and oh, caught up in this bank robbery. <laughs> I love the fact that there was like the bank was holding political prisoners, not money. Oh yeah, oh they moved the money a month ago. <laughs> yeah, you knew that. Yeah. <laughs> well, how? But and it's like, yeah, we did it. Yeah, I knew about it. I you didn't ask. <laughs> Oh man. So, um anything else you want to talk about this film before we wrap up? No, I think I I I uh got most of my feelings out on this. Like, you know, the sexual assault scene was a problem for me. The four different films 
you know, crammed into one movie. Like, again, any one of these could have been its own film. Right. Um, it was like a two and a half hour movie and like, it just kept switching directions, you know, like it's a heist movie. No, it's a revolutionary. No, it's a reluctant hero. No, it's right. (laughs) I mean, the fact that, uh, Leone was able to, you know, kind of funnel this into a coherent singular film you know is fairly impressive yeah but it would have been better if it was just pick one story and go with it right right i i mean i'm glad it wasn't uh it didn't focus too much on the politics because sometimes i find that it gets to be confusing or boring like i can't remember which one i think it was the mercenary um, that we watched that I was just like bored to tears throughout the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I totally get you. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I recommend this movie um, if, you know, people got to go in with the warning that there's a sexual assault at the beginning. And if that's a trigger, then, you know, obviously stay away from it or fast forward. <laughs> yeah, it's. Like I said, it's tough to uh to root for somebody like that yeah he kind of had the uh, steiger had that um do you remember what was the one we watched with um oh eli wallach and he was like this kind of a goofy bad guy and he would like there was the one scene where there's some sort of a, a mexican party going on and he's hiding behind this table but it like he's got it set so it looks like his head is on the table yeah i'm trying to remember what movie that was but he, he uh, steiger's character reminded me of his character in that movie where it was i have to look that up real quick but it was just he was just sort of a goofy kind of guy like in, in certain elements not always but it was, there were just certain things that he made me think he was being kind of intentionally funny <laughs> yeah that's fair oh both um this is an interesting fact i i noticed when i was looking them up both coburn and steiger died in 2002 huh i, I did not know that yeah i mean i know they both passed on but like i didn't know that they right died the same year i love i love coburn's uh in like flint and our man flint movies they're just the james bond spoofs they're so much fun Mm-hmm. Maybe it was in six, Ace High. Did we watch that one? I think so. <laughs> it's been a while. I'm trying to remember. Recently, Escape Bandit forms an unlikely alliance with two bounty hunters and an acrobat to get revenge against the people who framed him. Oh yeah, yeah. That's with um the, the Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer in that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now I remember. All right. So let's wrap things up here. So, uh, folks. Um, you know, this movie is a little bit different than some of uh, Sergio Leone's other films, which we are going to be exploring in the future. Um, right now, we're at episode 22, I believe. And episode 25, we're going to be tackling, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, which we're going to do a special Leone film on our 25th, 50th, 75th, and 100th episodes. 
So, but on our next show, uh, our Shaw Brothers film will be the final Venoms film called Ode to Gallantry. Uh, we haven't picked the Western to go with that one yet, just yet. But after next episode, we're probably going to begin our series within the series that we're going to do once in a while called Outside the East Meets the West, in which we talk about films that, you know, our favorite Shaw and Spaghetti Western actors are in that aren't Shaw Brothers or Spaghetti Western films. So I know Bud Spencer and Terrence Hill have a few buddy cop movies. Um, what's his name? Uh, who's the guy that played Ringo? I could see his face. Oh, um, um, Wood? Montgomery Wood? Yeah. I was going to say Woodrow something. Oh, Giuliano Gemma. Um, yeah. He's in the original version of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Which I uh, we have I have that so I'll lend you that copy. But yeah, so we're going to talk about that at some point too. And um, yeah, so we've got a lot of cool stuff coming up. Well, apologize, <laughs> apologies for uh, uh, these taking so long to come out. But we're going to get them over a regular basis, folks. Yeah, All let's right. do that. <laughs> we do it. Well, folks, that's all the time we have for The East Meets the West today. You can check out more episodes as well as our sister shows, Then Is Now Podcast and The Cult Movie Lounge over at our website, havenpodcasts.com. And be sure to click on our Patreon and Public links to get some exclusive content. And, folks, don't forget, East Meets the West is a part of the Dorkening Podcast Network. So don't forget to check out all the great shows on thedorkening.com. And you can find me... Uh, Again, it's been a while, but you can find me on all major platform uh, podcast platforms. Check out uh, the Throwdown Thursday podcast. That's the main show. Uh, also, new episodes of the Shark Bites podcast, where I interview all kinds of creative folks, writers, uh, directors, you know, filmmakers of all kinds, um, all kinds of creative folks, comics, movies, books, doesn't matter. Uh, and we also have crazy random movie discussions as well uh, interspersed in there uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Patrick Rahal uh, you can find us on Facebook uh, we have groups for all of the podcasts and you can occasionally find me on our sports show The Loudest Sports Show nice nice. and um, East Meets the West also has a YouTube, uh, I'm sorry, a Facebook page um, and we also post these episodes to YouTube, so please check out youtube.com slash user slash UncleDeath1. You'll find uh, this show amongst all our other shows and some fun stuff. Uh, just please make sure you hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends. Get them to subscribe as well. Uh, also, please go to wherever you download podcasts and leave us, leave us a great review so more people can find the show. The more five-star reviews we get, the higher we jump up in the algorithm. And as you know, the algorithm is the only way get noticed out here so help us out if you enjoyed this if you didn't enjoy it well fuck you listen to <laughs> listen to another episode and you will <laughs> awesome thanks a lot folks join us again for the next episode of the east meets the west <laughs> The West is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. All clips played on the show are property of their copyright holders. All other material is copyright Jupiter Media.
For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.